Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Chapter 2, Part 2 of The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar, by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter 2. Arsène Lupin in Prison. Part 2. The Baron afterwards regretted making the charge against Lupin when he saw his castle delivered over to the gendarmes, the procureur, the juge d'instruction, the newspaper reporters and photographers, and a throng of idle curiosity-seekers. The affair soon became a topic of general discussion, and the name of Arsène Lupin excited the public imagination to such an extent that the newspapers filled their columns with the most fantastic stories of his exploits, which found ready credence amongst their readers. But the letter of Arsène Lupin that was published in the Echo de France, no one ever knew how the newspaper obtained it, that letter in which Baron Caron was impudently warned of the coming theft, caused considerable excitement. The most fabulous theories were advanced. Some recalled the existence of the famous subterranean tunnels, and that was the line of research pursued by the officers of the law, who searched the house from top to bottom, questioned every stone, studied the wainscoting in the chimneys, the window-frames and the girders in the ceilings. By the light of torches they examined the immense cellars where the lords of Malachy were wont to store their munitions and provisions. They sounded the rocky foundation to its very centre. But it was all in vain. They discovered no trace of a subterranean tunnel. No secret passage existed. But the eager public declared that the pictures and furniture could not vanish like so many ghosts. They are substantial material things, and require doors and windows for their exits and their entrances, and so do the people that remove them. Who were those people? How did they gain access to the castle? And how did they leave it? The police officers of Rouen, convinced of their own impotence, solicited the assistance of the Parisian detective force. M. Doudouis, chief of the Sûreté, sent the best sleuths of the Iron Brigade. He himself spent forty-eight hours at the castle, but met with no success. Then he sent for Ganimard, whose past services had proved so useful when all else failed. Ganimard listened in silence to the instructions of his superior. Then, shaking his head, he said, "'In my opinion, it is useless to ransack the castle. The solution of the problem lies elsewhere.' "'Where, then?' "'With Arsène Lupin.' "'With Arsène Lupin. To support that theory we must admit his intervention.' "'I do admit it. In fact, I consider it quite certain.' "'Come, Ganimard, that is absurd.' Arsène Lupin is in prison. I grant you that Arsène Lupin is in prison, closely guarded. But he must have fetters on his feet, manacles on his wrists, and gag in his mouth before I change my opinion. Why so obstinate, Ganimard? 
because arsène lupin is the only man in france of sufficient calibre to invent and carry out a scheme of that magnitude mere words ganimard but true ones look what are they doing searching for subterranean passages stones swinging on pivots and other nonsense of that kind but lupin doesn't employ such old-fashioned methods he is a modern cracksman right up to date and how would you proceed i should ask your permission to spend an hour with him in his cell yes during the return trip from america we became very friendly and i venture to say that if he can give me any information without compromising himself he will not hesitate to save me from incurring useless trouble it was shortly after noon when ganimard entered the cell of arsene lupin the latter who was lying on his bed raised his head and uttered a cry of apparent joy ah oh, this is a real surprise my dear ganimard here ganimard himself in my chosen retreat i have felt a desire for many things but my fondest wish was to receive you here very kind of you i am sure not at all you know i hold you in the highest regard i am proud of it i have always said ganimard is our best detective he is almost you see how candid i am he is almost as clever as sherlock holmes but i am sorry that i cannot offer you anything better than this hard stool and no refreshments not even a glass of beer of course you will excuse me as i am here only temporarily ganimard smiled and accepted the proffered seat then the prisoner continued monsieur how pleased i am to see the face of an honest man i am so tired of those devils of spies who come here ten times a day to ransack my pockets and my cell to satisfy themselves that i am not preparing to escape the government is very solicitous on my account it is quite right why so i should be quite contented if they would allow me to live in my own quiet way on other people's money quite so that would be so simple but here i am joking and you are no doubt in a hurry so let us come to business ganimard to what do i owe the honour of this visit the caon affair declared ganimard frankly ah oh, wait a moment you see i have had so many affairs first let me fix in my mind the circumstances of this particular case ah oh, yes now i have it the caon affair malachy castle seine inferieure two rubens a watteau and a few trifling articles trifling ah oh, ma foi all that is of slight importance but it suffices to know that the affair interests you how can i serve you ganimard must i explain to you what steps the authorities have taken in the matter not at all i have read the newspapers and i will frankly state that you have made very little progress and that is the reason i have come to see you i am entirely at your service in the first place the caon affair was managed by you from a to z the letter of warning the telegram all mine i ought to have the receipts here somewhere arsene opened the drawer of a small table of plain white wood which with the bed and stool constituted all the furniture in his cell and took therefrom two scraps of paper which he handed to ganimard 
ha exclaimed the detective in surprise i thought you were closely guarded and searched and i find that you read the newspapers and collect postal receipts oh, these people are so stupid they open the lining of my vest they examine the soles of my shoes they sound the walls of my cell but they never imagined that arsene lupin would be foolish enough to choose such a simple hiding-place ganimard laughed as he said <laughs> what a droll fellow you are really you bewilder me but come now tell me about the caron affair oh ho not quite so fast you would rob me of all my secrets expose all my little tricks that is a very serious matter was i wrong to count on your complaisance no ganimard and since you insist arsene lupin paced his cell two or three times then stopping before ganimard he asked what do you think of my letter to the baron i think you were amusing yourself by playing to the gallery <laughs> playing to the gallery come ganimard i thought you knew me better do i arsene lupin ever waste my time on such puerilities would i have written that letter if i could have robbed the baron without writing to him i want you to understand that the letter was indispensable it was the motor that set the whole machine in motion now let us discuss together a scheme for the robbery of the Malachy castle are you willing yes proceed well let us suppose a castle carefully closed and barricaded like that of the baron caron am i to abandon my scheme and renounce the treasures that i covet upon the pretext that the castle which holds them is inaccessible evidently not should i make an assault upon the castle at the head of a band of adventurers as they did in ancient times that would be foolish can i gain admittance by stealth or cunning impossible then there is only one way open to me i must have the owner of the castle invite me to it that is surely an original method and how easy let us suppose that one day the owner receives a letter warning him that a notorious burglar known as arsene lupin is plotting to rob him what will he do send a letter to the procureur who will laugh at him because the said arsene lupin is actually in prison then in his anxiety and fear the simple man will ask the assistance of the first comer will he not very likely and if he happens to read in a country newspaper that a celebrated detective is spending his vacation in a neighbouring town he will seek that detective of course but on the other hand let us presume that having foreseen that state of affairs the said arsene lupin has requested one of his friends to visit caudebec make the acquaintance of the editor of the Réveil, a newspaper to which the baron is a subscriber and let said editor understand that such person is the celebrated detective then what will happen the editor will announce in the Réveil the presence in caudebec of said detective exactly and one of two things will happen either the fish i mean caon will not bite and nothing will happen or what is more likely he will run and greedily swallow the bait thus behold my baron caon imploring the assistance of one of my friends against me original indeed 
of course the pseudo-detective at first refuses to give any assistance on top of that comes the telegram from arsene lupin the frightened baron rushes once more to my friend and offers him a definite sum of money for his services my friend accepts and summons two members of our band who during the night whilst caon is under the watchful eye of his protector removes certain articles by way of the window and lowers them with ropes into a nice little launch chartered for the occasion simple isn't it marvellous marvellous exclaimed ganimard the boldness of the scheme and the ingenuity of all its details are beyond criticism but who is the detective whose name and fame served as a magnet to attract the baron and draw him into your net there is only one name could do it only one and that is arsene lupin's personal enemy the most illustrious ganimard i yourself ganimard and really it is very funny if you go there and the baron decides to talk you will find that it will be your duty to arrest yourself just as you arrested me in america the revenge is really amusing. I cause Ganimard to arrest Ganimard. Arsène Lupin laughed heartily. The detective, greatly vexed, bit his lips. To him the joke was quite devoid of humour. The arrival of a prison guard gave Ganimard an opportunity to recover himself. The man brought Arsène Lupin's luncheon, furnished by a neighbouring restaurant. After depositing the tray upon the table, the guard retired. Lupin broke his bread, ate a few morsels, and continued. "'But rest easy, my dear Ganimard. You will not go to Malachy. I can tell you something that will astonish you. The Caon affair is on the point of being settled.' "'Excuse me, I have just seen the chief of the Sûreté.' "'What of that? Does M. Dudouis know my business better than I do myself?' "'You will learn that Ganimard—' excuse me, that pseudo-Ganimard still remains on very good terms with the baron. The latter has authorized him to negotiate a very delicate transaction with me, and at the present moment, in consideration of a certain sum, it is probable that the baron has recovered possession of his pictures and other treasures, and on their return he will withdraw his complaint. Thus there is no longer any theft, and the law must abandon the case." Ganimard regarded the prisoner with a bewildered air. "'And how do you know all that?' "'I've just received the telegram I was expecting.' "'You have just received a telegram?' "'This very moment, my dear friend. Out of politeness I did not wish to read it in your presence, but if you will permit me—' "'You are joking, Lupin.' "'My dear friend—' If you will be so kind as to break that egg, you will learn for yourself that I am not joking. Mechanically, Ganimard obeyed and cracked the eggshell with the blade of a knife. He uttered a cry of surprise. The shell contained nothing but a small piece of blue paper. At the request of Arsène, he unfolded it. It was a telegram, or rather a portion of a telegram, from which the postmarks had been removed. It read as follows. Contract closed. Hundred thousand balls delivered. All well. One hundred thousand balls, said Ganimard. Yes, one hundred thousand francs. Very little, but then you know these are hard times. 
and I have some heavy bills to meet. If you only knew my budget, living in the city comes very high. Ganimard arose. His ill-humour had disappeared. He reflected for a moment, glancing over the whole affair in an effort to discover a weak point. Then, in a tone and manner that betrayed his admiration of the prisoner, he said, "'Fortunately, we do not have a dozen such as you to deal with. If we did, we would have to close up shop.' Arsène Lupin assumed a modest air as he replied, "'Pah! A person must have some diversion to occupy his leisure hours, especially when he is in prison.' "'What?' exclaimed Ganimard. "'Your trial, your defence, the examination. Isn't that sufficient to occupy your mind?' "'No, because I have decided not to be present at my trial.' ho Arsène Lupin repeated positively, "'I shall not be present at my trial.' "'Really?' "'Ah, oh, my dear monsieur, do you suppose I am going to rot upon the wet straw? You insult me.' Arsène Lupin remains in prison just as long as it pleases him, and not one minute more. "'Perhaps it would have been more prudent if you had avoided getting there,' said the detective ironically. "'Ah, oh, monsieur jests. Monsieur must remember that he had the honour to effect my arrest. Know, then, my worthy friend, that no one, not even you, could have placed a hand upon me if a much more important event had not occupied my attention at that critical moment.' you astonish me a woman was looking at me ganimard and i loved her do you fully understand what that means to be under the eyes of a woman that one loves i cared for nothing in the world but that and that is why i am here permit me to say you have been here a long time in the first place i wished to forget do not laugh it was a delightful adventure and it is still a tender memory Besides, I have been suffering from neurasthenia. Life is so feverish these days that it is necessary to take the rest-cure occasionally, and I find this spot a sovereign remedy for my tired nerves. Arsène Lupin, you are not a bad fellow after all. Thank you, said Lupin. Ganimard, this is Friday. On Wednesday next, at four o'clock in the afternoon, I will smoke my cigar at your house in the Rue Pergolaise. Arsène Lupin? I will expect you. They shook hands like two old friends who valued each other at their true worth. Then the detective stepped to the door. Ganimard? What is it? asked Ganimard as he turned back. You have forgotten your watch. My watch? Yes, it strayed into my pocket. He returned the watch, excusing himself. Pardon me, a bad habit. Because they have taken mine is no reason why I should take yours. Besides, I have a chronometer here that satisfies me fairly well. He took from the drawer a large gold watch and heavy chain. From whose pocket did that come? asked Ganimard. Arsène Lupin gave a hasty glance at the initials engraved on the watch. J.B. Who the devil can that be? Oh, yes, I remember. Jules Bouvier, the judge who conducted my examination. A charming fellow. End of chapter 2
This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar, by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Three: The Escape of Arsène Lupin, Part One. Arsène Lupin had just finished his repast and taken from his pocket an excellent cigar with a gold band, which he was examining with unusual care when the door of his cell was opened. He had barely time to throw the cigar into the drawer and move away from the table. The guard entered. It was the hour for exercise. "'I was waiting for you, my dear boy,' exclaimed Lupin, in his accustomed good humour. They went out together. As soon as they had disappeared at a turn in the corridor, two men entered the cell and commenced a minute examination of it. One was Inspector Duty, the other was Inspector Follenfant. They wished to verify their suspicion that Arsène Lupin was in communication with his accomplices outside of the prison. On the preceding evening the Grand Journal had published these lines, addressed to its court reporter. Monsieur, in a recent article you referred to me in most unjustifiable terms. Some days before the opening of my trial I will call you to account. Arsène Lupin the handwriting was certainly that of arsène lupin consequently he sent letters and no doubt received letters it was certain that he was preparing for that escape thus arrogantly announced by him the situation had become intolerable acting in conjunction with the examining judge the chief of the sûreté m dudouis had visited the prison and instructed the jailer in regard to the precautions necessary to ensure lupin's safety at the same time he sent the two men to examine the prisoner's cell they raised every stone ransacked the bed did everything customary in such a case but they discovered nothing and were about to abandon their investigation when the guard entered hastily and said the drawer look in the table drawer when i entered just now he was closing it they opened the drawer and duty exclaimed ah oh, we have him this time Follenfant stopped him. Wait a moment. The chief will want to make an inventory. This is a very choice cigar. Leave it there and notify the chief. Two minutes later, M. Dudouis examined the contents of the drawer. First he discovered a bundle of newspaper clippings relating to Arsène Lupin, taken from the Argus de la Presse, then a tobacco box, a pipe, some paper called onion peel, and two books. He read the titles of the books. One was an English edition of Carlyle's Hero Worship. The other was a charming Elsevier in modern binding, the Manual of Epictetus, a German translation published at Leyden in 1634. On examining the books, he found that all the pages were underlined and annotated. Were they prepared as a code for correspondence, or did they simply express the studious character of the reader? Then he examined the tobacco-box and the pipe. Finally he took up the famous cigar with its gold band. Fichtre! he exclaimed. "'Our friend smokes a good cigar. It's a Henry Clay!' With the mechanical action of a habitual smoker he placed the cigar close to his ear and squeezed it to make it crack. Immediately he uttered a cry of surprise. The cigar had yielded under the pressure of his fingers. He examined it more closely, and quickly discovered something white between the leaves of tobacco. 
delicately with the aid of a pin he withdrew a roll of very thin paper scarcely larger than a toothpick it was a letter he unrolled it and found these words written in a feminine handwriting the basket has taken the place of the others eight out of ten are ready on pressing the outer foot the plate goes downward from twelve to sixteen every day h p will wait but where reply at once rest easy your friend is watching over you m dudouis reflected a moment then said it is quite clear the basket the eight compartments from twelve to sixteen means from twelve to four o'clock but this h p that will wait h p must mean automobile h p horsepower is the way they indicate strength of the motor a twenty-four h p is an automobile of twenty-four horsepower then he rose and asked had the prisoner finished his breakfast yes and as he has not yet read the message which is proved by the condition of the cigar it is probable that he had just received it how in his food concealed in his bread or in a potato perhaps impossible his food was allowed to be brought in simply to trap him but we have never found anything in it we will look for lupin's reply this evening detain him outside for a few minutes i shall take this to the examining judge and if he agrees with me we will have the letter photographed at once and in an hour you can replace the letter in the drawer in a cigar similar to this the prisoner must have no cause for suspicion it was not without a certain curiosity that m dudouis returned to the prison in the evening accompanied by inspector dutzy three empty plates were sitting on the stove in the corner he has eaten yes replied the guard dutzy please cut that macaroni into very small pieces and open that bread roll nothing no chief m dudouis examined the plates the fork the spoon and the knife an ordinary knife with a rounded blade he turned the handle to the left then to the right it yielded and unscrewed the knife was hollow and served as a hiding-place for a sheet of paper he said that is not very clever for a man like arsene but we mustn't lose any time you dutzy go and search the restaurant then he read the note i trust to you h p will follow at a distance every day i will go ahead au revoir dear friend at last cried m dudouis rubbing his hands gleefully i think we have the affair in our own hands a little strategy on our part and the escape will be a success in so far as the arrest of his confederates are concerned but if arsene lupin slips through your fingers suggested the guard we will have a sufficient number of men to prevent that if however he displays too much cleverness ma foi so much the worse for him as to his band of robbers since the chief refuses to speak the others must and as a matter of fact arsene lupin had very little to say for several months m jules bouvier the examining judge had exerted himself in vain the investigation had been reduced to a few uninteresting arguments between the judge and the advocate maitre d'anval one of the leaders of the bar from time to time through courtesy arsene lupin would speak one day he said yes monsieur le juge 
i quite agree with you the robbery of the crédit lyonnais the theft in the rue de babylone the issue of the counterfeit bank-notes the burglaries at the various chateaux armesnil goret amblevin grosseyer malaki all my work monsieur i did it all then will you explain to me it is useless i confess everything in a lump everything and even ten times more than you know nothing about wearied by his fruitless task the judge had suspended his examinations but he resumed them after the two intercepted messages were brought to his attention and regularly at midday arsene lupin was taken from the prison to the depot in the prison van with a certain number of other prisoners they returned about three or four o'clock now one afternoon this return trip was made under unusual conditions the other prisoners not having been examined it was decided to take back arsene lupin first thus he found himself alone in the vehicle these prison vans vulgarly called paniers à salade or salad baskets are divided lengthwise by a central corridor from which open ten compartments five on either side each compartment is so arranged that the occupant must assume and retain a sitting posture and consequently the five prisoners are seated one upon the other and yet separated one from the other by partitions a municipal guard standing at one end watches over the corridor arsene was placed in the third cell on the right and the heavy vehicle started he carefully calculated when they left the quai de l'horloge and when they passed the palais de justice then about the centre of the bridge saint michel with his outer foot that is to say his right foot he pressed upon the metal plate that closed his cell immediately something clicked and the metal plate moved he was able to ascertain that he was located between the two wheels he waited keeping a sharp lookout the vehicle was proceeding slowly along the boulevard saint michel at the corner of saint germain it stopped a truck-horse had fallen the traffic having been interrupted a vast throng of fiacres and omnibuses had gathered there arsene lupin looked out another prison van had stopped close to the one he occupied he moved the plate still farther put his foot on one of the spokes of the wheel and leapt to the ground a coachman saw him roared with laughter then tried to raise an outcry but his voice was lost in the noise of the traffic that had commenced to move again. Moreover, Arsène Lupin was already far away. He had run for a few steps, but once upon the sidewalk he turned and looked around. He seemed to scent the wind like a person who is uncertain which direction to take. Then, having decided, he put his hands in his pockets, and with the careless air of an idle stroller he proceeded up the boulevard. It was a warm, bright autumn day, and the cafés were full. He took a seat on the terrace of one of them. He ordered a bock and a package of cigarettes. He emptied his glass slowly, smoked one cigarette, and lighted a second. Then he asked the waiter to send the proprietor to him. When the proprietor came, Arsène spoke to him in a voice loud enough to be heard by everyone. "'I regret to say, monsieur, I have forgotten my pocket-book.' Perhaps, on the strength of my name, you will be pleased to give me credit for a few days. I am Arsène Lupin. The proprietor looked at him, thinking he was joking. But Arsène repeated, Lupin, 
prisoner at the Santé, but now a fugitive. I venture to assume that the name inspires you with perfect confidence in me. And he walked away, amidst shouts of laughter, whilst the proprietor stood amazed. Lupin strolled along the Rue Soufflot and turned into the Rue Saint-Jacques. He pursued his way slowly, smoking his cigarettes and looking into the shop windows. At the boulevard de Port-Royal he took his bearings, discovered where he was, and then walked in the direction of the Rue de la Santé. The high, forbidding walls of the prison were now before him. He pulled his hat forward to shade his face. Then, approaching the sentinel, he asked, "'Is this the prison de la Santé?' "'Yes.' "'I wish to regain my cell.' The van left me on the way, and I would not abuse. "'Now, young man, move along, quick!' growled the sentinel. "'Pardon me, but I must pass through that gate, and if you prevent Arsène Lupin from entering the prison, it will cost you dear, my friend.' "'Arsène Lupin, what are you talking about?' "'I am sorry I haven't a card with me,' said Arsène, fumbling in his pockets. The sentinel eyed him from head to foot, in astonishment. Then, without a word, he rang a bell. The iron gate was partly open, and Arsène stepped inside. Almost immediately he encountered the keeper of the prison, gesticulating and feigning a violent anger. Arsène smiled and said, "'Come, monsieur, don't play that game with me. What, they take the precaution to carry me alone in the van, prepare a nice little obstruction, and imagine I am going to take to my heels and rejoin my friends. Well, and what about the twenty agents of the Sûreté who accompanied us on foot, in fiacre and on bicycles? No, the arrangement did not please me. I should not have got away alive. Tell me, monsieur, did they count on that? He shrugged his shoulders and added, I beg of you, monsieur, not to worry about me. When I wish to escape, I shall not require any assistance. On the second day thereafter, the Echo de France, which had apparently become the official reporter of the exploits of Arsène Lupin, it was said that he was one of its principal shareholders, published a most complete account of this attempted escape. The exact wording of the messages exchanged between the prisoner and his mysterious friend, the means by which correspondence was constructed, the complicity of the police, the promenade on the boulevard Saint-Michel, the incident at the Café Soufflot, everything was disclosed. It was known that the search of the restaurant and its waiters by Inspector Duty had been fruitless, and the public also learned an extraordinary thing which demonstrated the infinite variety of resources that Lupin possessed. The prison van, in which he was being carried, was prepared for the occasion and substituted by his accomplices for one of the six vans which did service at the prison. The next escape of Arsène Lupin was not doubted by anyone. He announced it himself in categorical terms in a reply to M. Bouvier on the day following his attempted escape. The judge having made a jest about the affair, Arsène was annoyed, and firmly eyeing the judge, he said emphatically, "'Listen to me, monsieur. I give you my word of honour that this attempted flight was simply preliminary to my general plan of escape.' i do not understand said the judge it is not necessary that you should understand and the judge in the course of that examination which was reported at length in the columns of the echo de france when the judge sought to resume his investigation 
arsène lupin exclaimed with an assumed air of lassitude mon dieu mon dieu what's the use all these questions are of no importance what no importance cried the judge no because i shall not be present at the trial you will not be present no i have fully decided on that and nothing will change my mind such assurance combined with the inexplicable indiscretions that arsene lupin committed every day served to annoy and mystify the officers of the law there were secrets known only to arsene lupin secrets that he alone could divulge but for what purpose did he reveal them and how arsene lupin was changed to another cell the judge closed his preliminary investigation no further proceedings were taken in his case for a period of two months during which time arsene was seen almost constantly lying on his bed with his face turned toward the wall the changing of his cell seemed to discourage him he refused to see his advocate he exchanged only a few necessary words with his keepers during the fortnight preceding his trial he resumed his vigorous life he complained of want of air consequently early every morning he was allowed to exercise in the courtyard guarded by two men public curiosity had not died out every day it expected to be regaled with news of his escape and it is true he had gained a considerable amount of public sympathy by reason of his verve his gaiety his diversity his inventive genius and the mystery of his life arsene lupin must escape it was his inevitable fate the public expected it and was surprised that the event had been delayed so long every morning the prefect of police asked his secretary well has he escaped yet no monsieur le préfet to-morrow probably and on the day before the trial a gentleman called at the office of the grand journal asked to see the court reporter threw his card in the reporter's face and walked rapidly away these words were written on the card arsene lupin always keeps his promises it was under these conditions that the trial commenced an enormous crowd gathered at the court everybody wished to see the famous arsene lupin they had a gleeful anticipation that the prisoner would play some audacious pranks upon the judge advocates and magistrates reporters and men of the world actresses and society women were crowded together on the benches provided for the public it was a dark sombre day with a steady downpour of rain only a dim light pervaded the court-room and the spectators caught a very indistinct view of the prisoner when the guards brought him in but his heavy shambling walk the manner in which he dropped into his seat and his passive stupid appearance were not at all prepossessing several times his advocate one of m danval's assistants spoke to him but he simply shook his head and said nothing. The clerk read the indictment, then the judge spoke. Prisoner at the bar, stand up. Your name, age, and occupation? Not receiving any reply, the judge repeated, Your name? I ask you your name. A thick, slow voice muttered, Baudru, Désiré. A murmur of surprise pervaded the courtroom, but the judge proceeded, Baudru Désiré. Ah, a new alias. Well, as you have already assumed a dozen different names, and this one is, no doubt, as imaginary as the others, 
we will adhere to the name of arsene lupin by which you are more generally known the judge referred to his notes and continued for despite the most diligent search your past history remains unknown your case is unique in the annals of crime we know not whom you are whence you came your birth and breeding all is a mystery to us three years ago you appeared in our midst as arsene lupin presenting to us a strange combination of intelligence and perversion immorality and generosity our knowledge of your life prior to that date is vague and problematical it may be that the man called rostat who eight years ago worked with dixon the prestidigitator was none other than arsene lupin it is probable that the russian student who six years ago attended the laboratory of dr altier at the st louis hospital and who often astonished the doctor by the ingenuity of his hypotheses on subjects of bacteriology and the boldness of his experiments in diseases of the skin was none other than arsene lupin it is probable also that arsene lupin was the professor who introduced the japanese art of jiu-jitsu to the parisian public we have some reason to believe that arsene lupin was the bicyclist who won the grand prix de l'exposition received his ten thousand francs and was never heard of again arsene lupin may have been also the person who saved so many lives through the little dormer window at the charity bazaar and at the same time picked their pockets the judge paused for a moment then continued such is that epoch which seems to have been utilized by you in a thorough preparation for the warfare you have since waged against society methodical apprenticeship in which you developed your strength energy and skill to the highest point possible do you acknowledge the accuracy of these facts during this discourse the prisoner had stood balancing himself first on one foot then on the other with shoulders stooped and arms inert under the strongest light one could observe his extreme thinness his hollow cheeks his projecting cheekbones his earthen-coloured face dotted with small red spots and framed in a rough straggling beard prison life had caused him to age and wither he had lost the youthful face and elegant figure we had seen portrayed so often in the newspapers it appeared as if he had not heard the question propounded by the judge twice it was repeated to him then he raised his eyes seemed to reflect then making a desperate effort he murmured baudreux désiré the judge smiled as he said i do not understand the theory of your defence arsene lupin if you are seeking to avoid responsibility for your crimes on the ground of imbecility such a line of defence is open to you but i shall proceed with the trial and pay no heed to your vagaries he then narrated at length the various thefts swindles and forgeries charged against lupin sometimes he questioned the prisoner but the latter simply grunted or remained silent the examination of witnesses commenced some of the evidence given was immaterial other portions of it seemed more important but through all of it there ran a vein of contradictions and inconsistencies a wearisome obscurity enveloped the proceedings until detective ganimard was called as a witness then interest was revived from the beginning the actions of the veteran detective appeared strange and unaccountable he was nervous and ill at ease 
Several times he looked at the prisoner, with obvious doubt and anxiety. Then, with his hands resting on the rail in front of him, he recounted the events in which he had participated, including his pursuit of the prisoner across Europe and his arrival in America. He was listened to with great avidity, as his capture of Arsène Lupin was well known to everyone through the medium of the press. Toward the close of his testimony, after referring to his conversations with Arsène Lupin, he stopped twice, embarrassed and undecided. It was apparent that he was possessed of some thought which he feared to utter. The judge said to him sympathetically, "'If you are ill, you may retire for the present.' "'No, no, but—' He stopped, looked sharply at the prisoner, and said, "'I ask permission to scrutinize the prisoner at closer range. There is some mystery about him that I must solve.' He approached the accused man, examined him attentively for several minutes, then returned to the witness-stand, and in an almost solemn voice he said, I declare on oath that the prisoner now before me is not Arsène Lupin. A profound silence followed the statement. The judge, nonplussed for a moment, exclaimed, Ah! Oh, what do you mean? That is absurd! The detective continued, At first sight there is a certain resemblance, but if you carefully consider the nose, the mouth, the hair, the color of skin, you will see that it is not Arsène Lupin. And the eyes! Did he ever have those alcoholic eyes? Come, come, witness! What do you mean? Do you pretend to say that we are trying the wrong man? In my opinion, yes. Arsène Lupin has in some manner contrived to put this poor devil in his place, unless this man is a willing accomplice. This dramatic denouement caused much laughter and excitement amongst the spectators. The judge adjourned the trial, and sent for M. Bouvier, the jailer, and guards employed in the prison. When the trial was resumed, M. Bouvier and the jailer examined the accused, and declared that there was only a very slight resemblance between the prisoner and Arsène Lupin. "'Well, then,' exclaimed the judge, "'who is this man? Where does he come from?' What is he in prison for? Two of the prison guards were called, and both of them declared that the prisoner was Arsène Lupin. The judge breathed once more. But one of the guards then said, Yes, yes, I think it is he. What? cried the judge impatiently. You think it is he? What do you mean by that? Well, I saw very little of the prisoner. He was placed in my charge in the evening, and for two months he seldom stirred, but laid on his bed with his face to the wall. What about the time prior to those two months? Before that he occupied a cell in another part of the prison. He was not in cell twenty-four. Here the head jailer interrupted and said, We changed him to another cell after his attempted escape. But you, monsieur, you have seen him during those two months? I had no occasion to see him. He was always quiet and orderly. And this prisoner is not Arsène Lupin? No. Then who is he? demanded the judge. I do not know. Then we have before us a man who was substituted for Arsène Lupin two months ago. How do you explain that? 
I cannot. In absolute despair, the judge turned to the accused and addressed him in a conciliatory tone. Prisoner, can you tell me how and since when you became an inmate of the prison de la Santé? The engaging manner of the judge was calculated to disarm the mistrust and awaken the understanding of the accused man. He tried to reply. Finally, under clever and gentle questioning, he succeeded in framing a few phrases from which the following story was gleaned. Two months ago he had been taken to the depot, examined and released. As he was leaving the building, a free man, he was seized by two guards and placed in the prison van. Since then he had occupied cell 24. He was contented there, plenty to eat, and he slept well, so he did not complain. All that seemed probable, and amidst the mirth and excitement of the spectators, the judge adjourned the trial until the story could be investigated and verified. End of chapter 3, part 1Chapter Three, Part Two of the Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar, by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Three, The Escape of Arsène Lupin, Part Two. The following facts were at once established by an examination of the prison records. Eight weeks before, a man named Baudreux-Désiré had slept at the dépôt. He was released the next day, and left the dépôt at two o'clock in the afternoon. On the same day at two o'clock, having been examined for the last time, Arsène Lupin left the dépôt in a prison van. Had the guards made a mistake? Had they been deceived by the resemblance, and carelessly substituted this man for their prisoner? Another question suggested itself had the substitution been arranged in advance. In that event, Baudreux must have been an accomplice and must have caused his own arrest for the express purpose of taking Lupin's place. But then, by what miracle had such a plan, based on a series of improbable chances, been carried to success? Baudreux Désiré was turned over to the anthropological service. They had never seen anything like him. However, they easily traced his past history. He was known at Courbevoie, at Asnières, and at Le Valois. He lived on alms and slept in one of those rag-pickers' huts near the barrier de Ternes. He had disappeared from there a year ago. Had he been enticed away by Arsène Lupin? There was no evidence to that effect, and even if that was so, it did not explain the flight of the prisoner. That still remained a mystery. Amongst twenty theories which sought to explain it, not one was satisfactory. Of the escape itself there was no doubt, an escape that was incomprehensible, sensational, in which the public, as well as the officers of the law, could detect a carefully prepared plan, a combination of circumstances marvellously dovetailed, whereof the denouement fully justified the confident prediction of Arsène Lupin, I shall not be present at my trial. After a month of patient investigation, the problem remained unsolved. The poor devil of a Baudreux could not be kept in prison indefinitely, and to place him on trial would be ridiculous. There was no charge against him. Consequently, he was released. But the chief of the Sûreté resolved to keep him under surveillance. 
this idea originated with ganimard from his point of view there was neither complicity nor chance baudreux was an instrument upon which arsene lupin had played with his extraordinary skill baudreux when set at liberty would lead them to arsene lupin or at least to some of his accomplices the two inspectors folenfant and duzzi were assigned to assist ganimard one foggy morning in january the prison gates opened and baudreux desire stepped forth a free man at first he appeared to be quite embarrassed and walked like a person who has no precise idea whither he is going he followed the rue de la sante and the rue saint jacques he stopped in front of an old clothes shop removed his jacket and his vest sold his vest on which he realized a few sous then replacing his jacket he proceeded on his way he crossed the seine at the chatelet an omnibus passed him he wished to enter it but there was no place the controller advised him to secure a number so he entered the waiting-room ganimard called to his two assistants and without removing his eyes from the waiting-room he said to them stop a carriage no two that will be better i will go with one of you and we will follow him the men obeyed yet baudreux did not appear ganimard entered the waiting-room it was empty idiot that i am he muttered i forgot there was another exit there was an interior corridor extending from the waiting-room to the rue saint-martin ganimard rushed through it and arrived just in time to observe baudreux upon the top of the batignolles jardin de plate omnibus as it was turning the corner of the rue de rivoli he ran and caught the omnibus but he had lost his two assistants he must continue the pursuit alone in his anger he was inclined to seize the man by the collar without ceremony was it not with premeditation and by means of an ingenious ruse that his pretended imbecile had separated him from his assistants he looked at baudreux the latter was asleep on the bench his head rolling from side to side his mouth half opened and an incredible expression of stupidity on his blotched face no such an adversary was incapable of deceiving old ganimard it was a stroke of luck nothing more at the galerie lafayette the man leapt from the omnibus and took the la muette tramway following the boulevard Haussmann and the avenue victor hugo baudreux alighted at la muette station and with a nonchalant air strolled into the bois de boulogne he wandered through one path after another and sometimes retraced his steps what was he seeking had he any definite object at the end of an hour he appeared to be faint from fatigue and noticing a bench he sat down the spot not far from auteuil on the edge of a pond hidden amongst the trees was absolutely deserted after the lapse of another half-hour ganimard became impatient and resolved to speak to the man he approached and took a seat beside baudreux lighted a cigarette traced some figures in the sand with the end of his cane and said it's a pleasant day no response but suddenly the man burst into laughter a happy mirthful laugh spontaneous and irresistible ganimard felt his hair stand on end in horror and surprise it was that laugh that infernal laugh he knew so well with a sudden movement he seized the man by the collar and looked at him with a keen penetrating gaze and found that he no longer saw the man baudreux to be sure he saw baudreux but at the same time he saw the other the real man lupin 
he discovered the intense life in the eyes he filled up the shrunken features he perceived the real flesh beneath the flabby skin the real mouth through the grimaces that deformed it those were the eyes and mouth of the other and especially his keen alert mocking expression so clear and youthful arsène lupin arsène lupin he stammered then in a sudden fit of rage he seized lupin by the throat and tried to hold him down in spite of his fifty years he still possessed unusual strength whilst his adversary was apparently in a weak condition but the struggle was a brief one arsène lupin made only a slight movement and as suddenly as he had made the attack ganimard released his hold his right arm fell inert useless if you had taken lessons in jiu-jitsu at the quai des orfèvres said lupin you would know that that blow is called udishigi in japanese a second more and i would have broken your arm and that would have been just what you deserve i am surprised that you an old friend whom i respect and before whom i voluntarily expose my incognito should abuse my confidence in that violent manner it is unworthy ah what's the matter ganimard did not reply that escape for which he deemed himself responsible was it not he ganimard who by his sensational evidence had led the court into serious error that escape appeared to him like a dark cloud on his professional career a tear rolled down his cheek to his grey moustache oh mon dieu ganimard don't take it to heart if you had not spoken i would have arranged for someone else to do it i couldn't allow poor baudru desire to be convicted then murmured ganimard it was you that was there and now you are here it is i always i only i can it be possible oh it is not the work of a sorcerer simply as the judge remarked at the trial the apprenticeship of a dozen years that equips a man to cope successfully with all the obstacles in life but your face your eyes you can understand that if i worked eighteen months with dr altier at the st louis hospital it was not out of love for the work i considered that he who would one day have the honour of calling himself arsène lupin ought to be exempt from the ordinary laws governing appearance and identity appearance that can be modified at will for instance a hypodermic injection of paraffin will puff up the skin at the desired spot pyrogallic acid will change your skin to that of an indian the juice of the greater celandine will adorn you with the most beautiful eruptions and tumours another chemical affects the growth of your beard and hair another changes the tone of your voice add to that two months of dieting in cell twenty-four exercises repeated a thousand times to enable me to hold my features in a certain grimace to carry my head at a certain inclination and adapt my back and shoulders to a stooping posture then five drops of atropine in the eyes to make them haggard and wild and the trick is done i do not understand how you deceived the guards the change was progressive the evolution was so gradual that they failed to notice it but baudreux desire baudreux exists he is a poor harmless fellow whom i met last year and really he bears a certain resemblance to me considering my arrest as a possible event I took charge of Baudreux and studied the points wherein we differed in appearance with a view to correct them in my own person. My friends caused him to remain at the depot overnight, 
and to leave there next day about the same hour as I did, a coincidence easily arranged. Of course, it was necessary to have a record of his detention at the depot in order to establish the fact that such a person was a reality. Otherwise, the police would have sought elsewhere to find out my identity. But in offering to them this excellent Baudreux, it was inevitable, you understand, inevitable that they would seize upon him, and, despite the insurmountable difficulties of a substitution, they would prefer to believe in a substitution than confess their ignorance. Yes, yes, of course, said Ganimard. And then, exclaimed Arsène Lupin, I held in my hands a trump-card, an anxious public watching and waiting for my escape, and that is the fatal error into which you fell, you and the others, in the course of that fascinating game pending between me and the officers of the law, wherein the stake was my liberty. And you suppose that I was playing to the gallery, that I was intoxicated with my success? I, Arsène Lupin, guilty of such weakness. Oh, no! And no longer ago than the Caon affair, you said, when Arsène Lupin cries from the housetops that he will escape, he has some object in view. But, sapristi, you must understand that in order to escape, I must create, in advance, a public belief in that escape, a belief amounting to an article of faith, an absolute conviction, a reality as glittering as the sun. And I did create that belief that Arsène Lupin would escape, that Arsène Lupin would not be present at his trial. And when you gave your evidence and said, that man is not Arsène Lupin, everybody was prepared to believe you. Had one person doubted it, had any one uttered this simple restriction, suppose it is Arsène Lupin. From that moment I was lost. If any one had scrutinized my face, not imbued with the idea that I was not Arsène Lupin, as you and the others did at my trial, but with the idea that I might be Arsène Lupin, then, despite all my precautions, I should have been recognized but I had no fear. Logically, psychologically, no one could entertain the idea that I was Arsène Lupin. He grasped Ganimard's hand. Come, Ganimard, confess that on the Wednesday after our conversation in the prison de la Santé, you expected me at your house at four o'clock, exactly as I said I would go. And your prison van, said Ganimard, evading the question. A bluff. Some of my friends secured that old unused van, and wished to make the attempt, but I considered it impractical without the concurrence of a number of unusual circumstances. However, I found it useful to carry out that attempted escape, and give it the widest publicity. An audaciously planned escape, though not completed, gave to the succeeding one the character of reality simply by anticipation. So that the cigar hollowed by myself, as well as the knife. And the letters? Written by me. And the mysterious correspondent? Did not exist. Ganimard reflected a moment, then said, When the anthropological service had Baudreux's case under consideration, why did they not perceive that his measurements coincided with those of Arsène Lupin? My measurements are not in existence. Indeed. At least they are false. I have given considerable attention to that question. In the first place, the Bertillon system records the visible marks of identification, and you have seen that they are not infallible, and after that the measurements of the head, the fingers, the ears, etc. Of course, such measurements are more or less infallible. Absolutely. 
no but it costs money to get around them before we left america one of the employees of the service there accepted so much money to insert false figures in my measurements consequently baudreux's measurements should not agree with those of arsene lupin after a short silence ganimard asked what are you going to do now now replied lupin i am going to take a rest enjoy the best of food and drink and gradually recover my former healthy condition it is all very well to become baudreux or some other person on occasion and to change your personality as you do your shirt but you soon grow weary of the change i feel exactly as i imagine the man who lost his shadow must have felt and i shall be glad to be arsene lupin once more he walked to and fro for a few minutes then stopping in front of ganimard he said you have nothing more to say i suppose yes i should like to know if you intend to reveal the true state of facts connected with your escape the mistake that i made oh no one will ever know that it was arsene lupin who was discharged it is to my own interest to surround myself with mystery and therefore i shall permit my escape to retain its almost miraculous character so have no fear on that score my dear friend i shall say nothing and now good-bye i am going out to dinner this evening and have only sufficient time to dress i thought you wanted to rest oh, there are duties to society that one cannot avoid to-morrow i shall rest where do you dine to-night with the british ambassador End of chapter three When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.